Welcome to Chinuch Today. I am your host, Rabbi Yerachmiel Garfield. Please join me as we highlight innovative ideas and inspiring people from the world of Chinuch. Hello and welcome to Chinuch Today. This is Yerachmiel Garfield and today's episode is focused on a very special person to me that many of my listeners might not be aware of and I'm so happy to be able to share information about this very important person who had a lot to say to the world with you. It is the one-year Yuritzite, the anniversary of the death of my Rav and Rebbe, Rabbi Avram Yitzchak Levine, who is the Rav in Philadelphia, very close to our family. I was able to produce a audio presentation about him a year ago, and feel free to look in the first season for that, of my personal recollections about this very special person. But as it would be, as only Hashem could arrange, this week, his grandson, Aryeh Wasserman, one of his daughters, name is Judy, who lives in Eretz Israel, wonderful, wonderful Judy, and their husband, Rabbi Daniel Wasserman, who was the Rav in Pittsburgh for many years, now made Aliyah, and their son, Rabbi Aryeh Wasserman, is recruiting for his yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. And because of that, he was visiting America this week, the day before Rabbi Levine's Yeret site. And he was so kind, even he traveled a lot, to sit down with me and record an episode about his grandfather. And as you will hear, he lived as an adult for eight years in Philadelphia, learned for smicha, went through Shulchan Aruch with his grandfather, and spent a lot of time with him. So it's a really special person to be able to interview and share on this Yeritzite, the first Yeritzite. My wife's grandmother, my mother-in-law's mother, Mrs. Ethel Shafrin, passed away a number of years ago. And when my mother-in-law, Eski Cook, talks about that, she often says she doesn't consider her mother to be deceased, to be gone, but she lives inside her and she thinks about her and in many ways, she's still alive in her mind. And when she said that, I thought it was a bit strange, hard to relate to. My mother-in-law is an extremely positive person. And perhaps this is another positive spin on life that avoids uh, acknowledging or recognizing the finality and negative aspects of death. But I have to say that in this year of having lost our of Rabbi Levine, I could really relate to that. I have pictures of him around. I think about him often, and in a a real way, his message and the impact that he imparted on me still lives in a very strong way within me, and I often think about him, and I'm able to act in ways that would be consistent with his values and the things he taught me, and even though, of course, I miss him, and I'm sad that I won't be able to see him or interact with him or call him, get chizik from him, I'm more happy that I have him in my life still and that he still plays a very significant role in the way I live my life and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to humanity. And for that, I am so grateful. And that's very much alive and kicking. Baruch Hashem. And often I say to myself, oh, Rebbe Levine would be so proud of that. Or how would Rebbe Levine respond to this scenario or that scenario? And I'm very thankful that that is my relationship with him, that it is able to endure this separation, and Hashem should help. I hope that I'm able to continue that for the rest of my life. I don't know, I only have one year's experience with such a thing, but in Ritz Hashem, by remembering him and thinking about him, his memory and his legacy will continue. So here is my interview with Aryeh. I hope you enjoy it, and you will hear how close he was to his grandfather, and how in a way, his relationship with his grandfather mirrored the relationship that Revival Mitzchik had with his own grandfather, Revari Levin and Tzadik in our time. And there's a beautiful multi-generational connection there that I hope you enjoy hearing about. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. So excited to be having a meeting in person, an interview with an anical of Rav Avram Yitzchak, Levine, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, whose Yeret site is this week. So it's a real honor to welcome Rabbi Aryeh Wasserman from Eretz Yisrael to the studio. Welcome, Aryeh. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so, for having me. It's wonderful. Even though you live in Eretz Yisrael, you're here to represent your yeshiva, which we're going to hear a little about. 
And uh, it's so nice to be able to talk to you about your Zayda. So let's just uh, get an idea of who you are. W- what is it that you currently do? I am, I guess, the dean of students at uh, Yeshivat Migdal HaTorah, which is a post-high uh, school yeshiva in Modi'in. Um, and I'm here recruiting for my yeshiva, as are many other yeshivas. Wonderful. How long have you been living in Eretz Yisrael for? So I made Aliyah about four years ago. I made Aliyah from Philadelphia. Before I was working at Migdal HaTorah, I was living in Philadelphia, Obviously, I had a lot of time to spend with my grandfather there. I was teaching in a school, uh, high school, Kohelet. I lived there for eight years. Wow. So uh, as an adult, you got to interact with... I was very, very influenced by my grandfather in terms of uh, my professional career. And uh, as I was going into Chinuch, uh, I was really... My, my grandfather was there. Every week, we had a Chavusa. Really? Multiple. Uh, and... Uh, and that resulted in me getting smicha from my grandfather. Um, we learned once or twice a week, and then in addition, that was the that there was there was many many opportunities on Shabbos. When I first moved to Philadelphia, so my I was right after I got married. I basically we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. I graduated high school. I went to Yishvat Hotel for two years, and I was in YU for 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 undergrad, and then I was part of the YU Legacy Heritage. Teach Fellowship, which brought me to Philadelphia. Aleva mm. um, program no longer mm. exists. But that got me, and that th- that was basically a program where they selected uh, YU's Israeli School for education. Jewish Education and Administration. Um, they basically picked promising talent in, uh, in, in Jewish education, and instead of making them do the masters before they started teaching, they kind of did it toch kedei. So uh, it was a... It was a three-year program. You did the master's over the course of three summers. Mm. And while you were doing your master's, they placed you in an out-of-town school, specifically an out-of-town school, where you would teach for two years or more. So I did that. I was accepted to that program. So, And that's what brought me to Philly. I, I was looking at a few other communities as well, but obviously the draw of Philadelphia was, A, the proximity to New York because I had to commute for, for the summer classes. But more importantly, it was, was my grandparents and my grandfather. And... Mm. As uh, I had a, and from those eight years, I, I got a, a very different perspective of my grandfather than the one that I got growing up as a child and, and as, as the little kid grandchild, which, which was also valuable and important. But uh, I'm very, very blessed. It was very, very special that I had that opportunity to, to learn with him. I can't even imagine, honestly, thinking about it, having such exposure to such a great man and such a capacity. I mean, it's such a schuss, you know. You're probably unique in that. Is there anyone else in the history that had that kind of, other than maybe his own son? I'm the only one who has smicha from him. So you're the only person in history. Yeah. Kind of? So I'm I'm the only one, and it's it's special because so he was one of the, one of the things that was unique about his I guess uh, uh, rabbinical position was that he's the only one that got smicha from his zeta, uh, zeta Rabari, who I'm named after. Really? Uh, yeah. So he was the only one that he got smicha from him. And then I got, he gave me smicha in return. Me arye, le arye. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I never knew that. Not, and as, as he always said, he's that, uh, which I understand completely, because I think there was a lot of similarities between uh, the the relationship that he had with his grandfather and that I have, that, that I had with my grandfather, that uh, he's like, I only got it because uh, I was the grandson and I uh, wasn't deserving <laughs> and I'm not. So the, the same applies <laughs> to me. So I, I got very lucky. So what happened? You went through Shulchan Aruch together. Or? Yeah, yeah, we went through uh, we went through Yardia together, and then we learned Shulch- we learned Shulchan Aruch, and we went through the Aruch Shulchan. But it was more of the today. Smich has become commercialized. Uh, it's not what it used to be. When when the same thing with when he told me about his his various smichas from 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 Zayin and Rav Hank and Rav Siegel, right. they weren't like he sat down and took a test. Like it's not like why you smicha. Right. It's you you talked in learning and and ultimately they 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 trust they, that you they, they trust. That you have right. the capability of of, of paskening a shaila, but more importantly, that you're a yirei shemaim, and you're and you're committed to the mesora. I think that was like really the 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 core of it. So it, they 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 talked the learning, and then they they wrote a letter that said that I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I I'm asking that you can be you can be considered rough. So so that's what happened with me. And my grandfather was uh, again he, he he took it very seriously, and even we, we we had a specific seder. On the one hand, that started with the, the specific, I guess, curriculum. My grandfather always liked to call it a core curriculum, <laughs> core, the core curriculum. And we started from there, but then we branched out to 
everything under the under the under the sun uh, in terms of our learning. And I think the more obviously that was very valuable in terms of learning and Malicha together, but even more valuable than that was seeing the the fifth chelik of Shulchan Aruch from him, which is like how you deal with people and how you deal with life and uh, the the walks. And when I as I started saying before that uh, that when I first came to Philadelphia, he was still frequenting shul, so I had the opportunity to to, to spend many walks with him to and from shul, I would go to the Ashka, he would go to the Ashka Minyan because it was, he wanted to see people, but it, he was getting older and it was, it, it would take like hours just to get out of shul because everyone wanted to like, uh, everyone wanted a piece of him. So he, he, he made sure that, and he would, he would go to the Ashka Minyan where there were less people and it still took a long time. Like it literally, I would, it would take him like an hour to get out of the door because everyone coming to the nine o'clock Minyan would dash at the opportunity to, to just get a just get a handshake and a warm smile that everyone knew so well, and then but I had the opportunity to, to take those walks with him, which which was fascinating to me because I remember as a child when we came we came out basically every summer, um, we were we were there a lot. Thankfully, I have a lot of cars to to my parents that my, my father was also also rough uh, on the other side of, of Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh, so. In terms of regularly spending Shabbos together, we didn't get that. And in Yom Tovim, we didn't we didn't get that. But the summer, there was a few weeks in the summer. Every every summer, we came to my grandparents' house. So I remember very fond memories of of walk. Again, it was like a really exciting thing to walk to Shul with Zeta. And at the time, when I was younger, he was still in his prime. He was. Uh, I remember he would take he would take. Uh, there were multiple ways to walk to Shul. And uh, sometimes I remember he would like walk the. We would we would go. For whatever reason, I have this like memory of we would walk, and then all of a sudden Zeta would appear like in front of us, and he would like beat us, and I'd be like, "How did that happen?" And this is my like my seven, eight year old mind, like Zeta's like this magical, 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 magical being, right? Exactly. And then when I was living in Philadelphia, and he was getting older and and and, and slower in terms of that, so we would walk a lot of times. So I also began to have responsibilities I gave Shira or I talked to people in the kitchen so he would end up going ahead and I would like do Kitsur Derech and like meet him in the reverse and then and, and but meet him in, on, on the other block but uh, so it was like kind of a reversal there but uh, but there was a lot of a lot of lessons learned on those walks just in terms of how we interacted with people not not Jews people right um, he, he really was Makayim to be Makdim Shalom L'Chaladim right should always be the first one to say hello. Yeah, that's something I learned from him. There was very few people today. People don't say hello to each other. Right. They, but he, my grandfather built years, and and he and he told me about certain examples, and I saw it. There were, there were these people, <laughs> random people right. that that you never know. And right. There was this person on the on the corner that every time we walked to shul, he had to stop by and he had a long conversation with him. <laughs> Not Jewish. Yeah. Some some fascinating guy with like this fat, funky hat, and he and he would wait every Shabbos. For my grandfather to right. walk by and right. Rabbi Levine and it, like changed people's lives. Like yeah. Just a, how much a hello changed someone's life. It was really incredible to see. I had a tremendous nachas moment for myself if I could share it just because it, it was so Rabbi Levine. It was the Rabbi Levine of me, inside me. There was a person here in the community who was visiting. She, I don't think she was from. She was visiting her children who lived here. And so she was walking her dog one Shabbos morning. So she told one of my kids later that there's only one rabbi in this community. He doesn't only say hello to me. He says hello to my dog also. <laughs> I was thinking, that's so like, you that know, Rabbi be, Levine. Well, there's a story. There, there was a story like that. Actually. Oh, yeah? So there was across the street from grandparents' house, they had a dog. Uh-huh. And it would always <laughs> bark very aggressively at, uh, at uh, whenever we would walk by. And so my grandfather, whenever I told him, I said also, he would always like whistle this tune to to the dog, and the dog stopped barking. <laughs> oh. And it was like he would always like at the whistle good, job, there, yeah. whistle good job is to the dog. Uh, yeah. Oh, see, I knew it. I always, I felt like, oh, that's such a revelation. I didn't even remember that I did that, to be honest. But like, it made a difference to this lady who felt like a foreigner. And when you were learning, I'm going back to that, just the, the learning the Shulchan Aruch, et cetera. <laughs> Was there certain things he would quote? I know he was big into the Aruch HaShulchan. That was, I know, important. Yeah, too. so the, the first we learned it in the Shulchan Aruch. We went through the Shulchan Aruch. And then uh, he was also very, in terms of the Hakdamos of the Prima Ganim, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of Hilchus Malicha. And then, uh, yeah, and then we would go over it in the Aruch HaShulchan. Right. 
Um, so that was basically like the. He always would tell the, us the, how fond he was of the Aruch Hashulchan. Yes, he loved. He very much <laughs> loved the, the Aruch Hashulchan. It's clear. It's clear. Beautiful. Yeah, and it gives a heck of for the sugya also. He, he gives you the whole picture. You know, the Aruch Hashulchan. He works it through. Yeah, you, know? you see the whole sugya develop and right, and then brings it to Minhagim and whatever, all the practical stuff and very nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. You said you got into other things also. Do you remember what other topics or how that? So whatever would come up, you would go into everything. Kind of like you should have written it all down, man. I, I have some things written down. Yeah. I, I, at one point, I'll I'll try and go through and make it in a in a in a Misudar way that's yeah. hopefully shareable at some point. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a lot of times it was just sharing his interactions with his with with his with his father, with his grandfather, with the gedolim of yesteryear. Yeah. Um, uh, poetry. I have a video. Uh, him teaching me how to how to bind books. Oh wow! Um, Do you know how we got into that? Yes, actually. So, I, I guess maybe it's like subconsciously, but uh, I I was actually on the way here. It was very nostalgic because again, I was this was the first time in this this trip was the last time I last time I was in the house was was uh, last November, which was about a month before he passed away, and I remember it was just like a very strange feeling being in the house without him, even though. Everything is like everything is exactly the same, like except like he's he's not there physically, but his presence is still significantly felt to the glasses that are still like exactly where they were left. But he so on the way here, I was uh, I was listening to they they had the OU hosted with Rabbi with Rabbi Shmimin a conversation during during Zoom. So I was listening to that a little bit, and uh, he my grandfather told a story that I, I had heard. Unfortunately, my memory is not what my <laughs> one of the many things about my grandfather was. I had this incredible memory, sure. so I I I wasn't zochet to that. So I've heard this story, and a lot of times when I hear these stories, I'm like I heard that multiple times. My grandfather would always say, "It's like, did I tell you this story?" And usually the answer was yes, but I always said no, so that he would tell me <laughs> he would tell it to me again because I didn't remember all the details, and hopefully I would remember it. He was in one one of the unique opportunities he had. It was similar to the, he got to learn in his uh, in Beis Arye, in his grandfather's yeshiva, and uh, he tells a story that uh, Zeder Abari decided that they were going to learn Musar, and and so they had all these old Musar books, and so the older Bachram who were all big big gedolim, my grandfather was like a 15, 16 year old young boy, so he got last, uh, so. They um they they all took like Masiyah Sisharim and and Orchos Tzadikim and all the the classics Sorry, and then yeah all those and then there was one little sefer that didn't have a cover and uh-huh. and my and my grandfather turns to to his grandfather and he says I, I can't do the Yiddish unfortunately <laughs> but he says Zayda it doesn't have a cover so Zayda by looking no so you'll make him a cover you'll make a cover wow right and so there and so my Zayda holding the sefer. That he had, it's like I've been making covers for seventy years for this safer, and I got better and I got better, and now it's a finished product. It's good. <laughs> now I make nice, good covers. But uh, I think uh, I think that was like the beginning of, wow. of, of a journey, and that's something. It, it's amazing to that, that that the influence. You think that he spent so much time with his grand? It wasn't so much time. It was maybe a year. Right in terms of like how much how much time he was actually there with his grandfather. Right. He was he grew up in America and then and then he was okay. sent to learn and and then he got sick and, right. and he came back. So maybe a year in terms of like uh, of 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 being with uh, Zayda Rabai, but it it really influenced like his entire life in terms of the the amount of stories that he has and <laughs> and uh, but I think that's that was the beginning of the covers and I think I was the fact that he. It was very representative of who he was, because you look in. I was, I was, I was in his attic, and I was looking around. There's hundreds and hundreds of books, books and svarim, that he bound, mm. and he rebound, and you know, and it's, you think he didn't read them, because I was looking, I was, I was flipping through there. I was, I was, I was treasure hunting in the, mm. in, in, in the attic a little bit just to see. I didn't take anything, but it was, it was just, just to see what type of again. I, I, I was up there. More than most people, right. with uh, with my grandfather, but I wasn't allowed to just like take peruse and, around, and peruse whatever I wanted. Yeah. He, my grandfather, showed me some books, but I was just looking around and I saw all these. You have it's the it's the most unique collection of 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 books because you have like fairy tale like a book of fairy tales next to the Sheif Shmaitasa, 
Mm. Both of them rebound with love by my grandfather. And and you see, he has, he has a special and unique way of of, of signing, of rescued and rebound. That's what it said? Rescued. And, so that was some of the some <laughs> of the, the, the terms that he used in terms mm. of... And, and so one of the books I saw wasn't a safer. I think it was a book on pedagogy or something like that, or how to get an idea across. And he wrote in the cover after uh, rescued and sometimes be rescued and rebound by Levine rescued and, and rebound by love with love and then he would sign his name he had different iterations of, of his beautiful signature and then this one said a great book well worth the effort mm. and so it wasn't just that he rebound these books he read every single one and I think that's how he viewed people also and he surrounded every person it was a little book and every person had a cover that needed mm. to be rebound and with love and care. He, he loved to quote his aunt, Doda um, Rebetzin Plachinsky, mm. um, who was uh, uh, Rabari's daughter. One Blazer of Laser Plachinsky's wife. Uh, so she, he, he used to quote her and say, uh, what's Pshat? Why is, why, is a, why is a wise person called a Talmud Chacham? Chacham. Right? So she said, that's Pshat in the Mishnah. Right? The, I, the definition of a chacham is someone who recognizes something to learn from each and every person. And that's what a book is. A book is something that you learn from. Right? Mm. It has knowledge. And it's something to be perused and, and to, to, to bond with. Yeah. And, he, and he, his life's mission was to, to reach out and to help fix the covers of all the, all the books in the world, all the little people in the world that, that, that have... That have value and, and and meaning and something to learn from and, mm. and that was something that made him unique and he surrounded him and those were his friends those those were his friends and that's what he surrounded himself with his attic is filled with hundreds of these beautiful little leather bound treasures that other people thought were garbage yeah again and there's some there's some books that are that have have more interesting things to, to learn from than than others but it didn't matter there was something to learn from every single one of them my father was very close to Rabbi Levine. We're very, I'm very proud, and we were very fortunate that my father and our family had such a relationship. And there was a time when my father brought Rabbi Levine to a place to relax. He took off Tuesdays, right? That was his day off, I guess. I think if I remember correctly. So he took him to this place called the Book Barn. Did he ever take you to the Book Barn? I never went, but I heard about it. Ah, uh, so that was my father's uh, shidduch. He he loved and the Book Barn. The Book Barn. The Book Barn was this place out in the boondocks of uh, Philadelphia. And there was an old house with old people. It had so much character. Near and, the Brandywine uh, River. Yeah, exactly. Out in Brandywine. And uh, it screamed Robert Levine. The people who worked there, the people who shopped there, the whole place had a magical sort of vibe. And growing up and going to visit the Levine so many times, I, that upstairs attic was like a magical place. That I only went probably five times in my life. You know, you were there a lot more than me. But it was always magical, Rabbi Levine. He would take us up there for some special thing he would show. Or both me and my brother did our mitzvah lessons with Rabbi Levine, which was such an experience. A little kid, but he was so kind. And we both had times when we broke down crying during the lesson. It's like part of the rite of passage is to be overwhelmed and to lose it. And that's when you got to go upstairs. My brother tells a great story where he brought him upstairs and he played him a a record of, like, comedy, I forgot, Abbott and Costello or something on his old record player. And I went upstairs, I don't remember what we did, really, but I remember that was, like, the reset. Such a magical place. It's uh, He was full of magic. There was, like, a magic to him, no? Like, a, like an aura that he had that just made life exciting and the stories he would tell and the people he met. Did you hear about Fuselberg, or was that before your time? Uh, it was before my time, but I've, I've definitely heard of it, about it. Also. Yeah, this whole magical land that he would tell his kids about called Fuselberg and the things that happened there. So uh, very, so, so very special. Who are some of the characters that he introduced you to from his past besides Zerbarie that come to mind? Um, in terms of Gedolin? Uh, so I, he spoke about his, his father a lot. He had a tremendous love for, for, for his father, and, and he learned so much from him. And I was... Uh, I was, he actually, it's interesting because when, when people think of Rabbi Levine in terms of his knowledge and uh, his involvement in everything, the only thing he wasn't involved in was some, anything technological. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have anything like that. He was, he, he made jokes about the Google Hador and uh, 
uh, he, he stayed away from all of that. But when he, he shared with me when he was younger, he was like cutting edge. He had the, the best uh, recording equipment and, and he was sharing and like even the records, like he had the best like record player in that at the time. That was the technology of the time. Wow. And then he and he shared to me that he saw the dangers of, uh, of, of the, the smart of the, of the Internet and all that. And that it's, it, it's very useful, but it, but it can take a, it can be so distracting. Like I, it's, and and we all know this, right? right? That uh, it's just amazing to see how much someone can accomplish in their life, and it's much harder when you are being sucked in by the distractions. It's a tremendous tool, and we have access to all this information. My grandfather amassed so much a wealth of knowledge from books. Now we can get ev- most of what he was able to to access. We can we can get with a click. Mm-hmm. But where the dangers of that is that we're confronted by all these obstacles of, of distraction. And he was very wary of that, and he didn't want to be a part of that. But when he was younger, he 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 was uh, he was he was uh, cutting edge, uh, best technologies. And so he shared with me that when uh, when he took some of these technologies in terms of recording whatever, and he recorded his father singing uh, chazanas. And, really? Uh, and, um, and uh, wow. some of the drushes that he... Really? Uh, yes. Is that around? Does he have that? Uh, they're, they're around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're... Uh, Let's get them uh, out. They're, they're, on, they're on these, like... <laughs> Real. Now, now, right, they're <laughs> antiquated things, but at the time it was, like, wow. the thing. So okay. I, I was able... I have I have some recorded on my phone. From Chaim Yaakov? Yes, I know yeah. he was a chazan. Ramavim wasn't much of a chazan, was he? he? Uh, yeah, but they had this appreciation for chazanas. Yeah, uh, um, I, don't, I can't think of hearing um, him singing much. Yeah, so I was exposed to things she like. Hear, I'm a lois, <laughs> <laughs> well, my grand, my, well, my grand, my grandfather wrote some songs. Also, oh, really? He had some tunes, special tunes. I know Lali is uh, quite uh, the. Yes, she is. Singer. Uh, she's releasing a whole bunch of uh, post post uh, year, post year, year of shiva. Right. She has a whole lineup that's coming okay. out of that. So you sh- everyone should listen. That that's allowed to. Right. Um, uh, and but uh, yeah. So he. So I was. I was able to have access to some of those gems, that uh, the very few people have access yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I mean, his his father. Um, people don't know so much. Rukhaim Yaakov. He he. Dafka shunned the spotlight to some extent. Yes, he was. He was one of the hidden. Uh, and my 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 grandfather's the, the hidden treasures of of, of Jewry. He was right. known. Anyone who knew anyone who was in the know realized how what a tremendous Talmud Chacham he was. Uh, it's interesting that if you you look in Tzadik in our time, mm-hmm. I got um, many copies uh, uh, um, in the Hebrew version. There's a copy of uh, Tzadik Sodalam. I don't know if it's in the English copy, but uh, the 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 cover of it um, there's a there's like a printed letter. The actual the inside cover yeah. has a picture. Of the of a letter of his his tzava, of Zayder Bari's tzava, uh, at the end of his life, and basically sharing lessons uh-huh. of uh, oh yeah, that's like, in the that's in the English in the English, so it's yeah. in the English, and so if you read it carefully, you'll see that he he mentions his children, uh-huh. and he refers to grandfather's father Zayder Kamiakov, with like these tremendous accolades, mm. with uh, more than the other children. Uh, so there was wow. this like uh, again. I want to say that Zederay had favorites, but it could be also that again he was he was further away. I don't know, but but he got these like special accolades from great people that uh, that other people didn't. I know he was very close to Baruch Bear. I think he went with him to Chavrusa. He was He was very very close with his father, and 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 uh, he cherished that that relationship a lot. So he spoke a lot about that. Hundred more than anybody else, I think. How about in terms of like how you ended up living your life and moving to Eretz Yisrael? Was that something that was part? Because he didn't live. He's the only one in the family that really didn't live in Eretz Yisrael. Um, yeah, it was very. I, I spoke to my my grandfather a lot about it. I think one of the hardest things. I, I was very adamant when I when I when I was in yeshiva, I was going to stay and do the army, and my parents felt that I I should be I had what to contribute in terms of learning, so I basically. I did last week's a few weeks ago. We had uh, people giving asking for an os from Hashem. So I said, I'll give an os to Hashem. I'll apply to the Masmidim Honors Program at YU mm-hmm. if I get in, which was at, which is at the time it was a full scholarship. Uh, now it's not, but it was full scholarship to YU. 
pre-Madoff days. But uh, if I if I get accepted, I'll go to YU. If not, then I'll, I'll take it to stay. And I got in, so I went and ended up taking that path to going to YU, and then which led me to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. But when I was so I would say the 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 I was very vocal though. I tried to say that I was gonna I was I was coming back to Israel, and I expressed that by when I started having children, I only spoke to them in Hebrew. Oh, really? Uh, for, for, and that was five years until wow. we made Aliyah. As soon as we made Aliyah, I switched to English. My kids don't even remember, my two older kids don't even remember that I spoke to them in Hebrew. <laughs> um, but that was very hard, obviously. It's not my first language. I worked very hard when I was in Yeshiva. I very much tried to make sure that my Hebrew was, uh, when I was in teaching Philadelphia, I became part of the 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 every teachers uh, I I would chavra uh, as much as possible I would speak to them in Hebrew they wow. um, and I worked harder on it um, and I spoke to my grandfather a lot about Eretzisel and why he and why he didn't go and he would always say he would love to go and and the reason why he wasn't there is he asked the Shaila right at the begin when he when he was starting in Rabbanus and he was beginning his career he he asked some big gedolim that uh, what he should do. And they said he they, he should stay here and build, hmm. and so the the irony is that uh, he had there were four siblings. Okay, he was the only one born in Yushalayim. Hmm. When he was nine months old, he was he was brought to visit the other grandparents in, in England, and they got stuck because of World War Two, and then that's how they made it to America. The other three were born in America. As adults, the three of them made Ali, came back, and right. my my great grandparents ultimately came back. My grandfather, the only Sabra. Hmm. Uh, who was born in Shari Tzedek Hospital, and there's that's a, a, another story that's been documented and said over many times, so we won't say it now. Um, he was he was stuck there, and he was and he felt that he had like a psak to, to to do good here, and I think he did tremendous work. And the and and the the amount of people from the Philadelphia community that have made Aliyah are a testament to him. So I think that's on on his sho- on his shoulders, but. On a personal level, you spend forty years in a place, and then all his medical stuff, and he, but he every time we spoke about it a lot, and you know, he'd love to go to Israel, and we, we spoke about it, but it was it's very very hard. He's there now. It was something that he was very conflicted about, something that he wanted very much, and again, sometimes it's not so easy. When I made the decision, um, I'm I'm not a crier. Uh, I don't. I people know me. I I very rarely cry, and and I I think in my adult life I think I have two times where I've broken down crying, mm. um, in public, basically with uh, that that I can remember, <laughs> and it's the two times I lost my grandfather. The first time was when I made Aliyah. We went to my grandparents before as the the the, the truck came and it was everything's it was exciting. It was something we 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 spoke about my, myself and my wife. We were very. We were going back, and eventually we had a plan. And thank God, uh, a job fell into my lap a year in advance, and and I was uh, we were all set up. And I'm not saying it was still challenging, but but it was that when it really really hit me was not when I was saying goodbye to friends or anything. I was like I was saying I get emotional remembering it. But uh, and I, I was I remember we we said goodbye to my 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 grandparents and my grandfather in particular, and. Uh, gave my kids brachas and then and then I was also very very fortunate that my children got to have such a close relationship with uh, uh, with my grandfather which is very very special also that their great grandfather and uh, and we were getting in the car to drive we spent like we sent our lift in advance and then we spent some time in Pittsburgh and then in Boston where my wife is from and we were pulling out of the driveway and my wife turns to me and I was like I was I was, tr- I was crying like I, I couldn't I couldn't couldn't help it uh, so that was one time, and then obviously the second time was about a year ago when uh, when I said goodbye again. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but yeah, it was something that uh, was was very dear to his heart, and he was very proud of all the people that did make Aliyah and did go back, and it's something he really, really wanted. Yeah, definitely part of his identity. Yeah, a lot of them in Huggin, as you know, are, are just Yerush- he, yeah. yeah, he was a he was a Yushalmi that was that was bred in America. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you're very much connected to, to that. I went through a Takufa where I felt I needed to make Aliyah and I spoke to him about it and he gave me a similar advice that he got when he was younger that, you know, I was very busy here doing good things and he, he sort of took it off my plate and he said, that's not for you. That's not your avoda right now. So it is what, you know, everyone has their own journey with that. 
Yeah, know? and when I when I made it a reality, he was, he was. I think it was hard for him also, but um, we we had a very special uh, relationship. Well, something unique about him was that everyone felt that he that yeah. they had a very special relationship. Right. I think I had a particularly <laughs> special relationship with him. I would think you did. Uh, but uh, he was very supportive and very proud that I was going back, and despite the that it was hard to to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back to to the to yeah. Israel one more thing is that I, I brought for you a, a copy of of the the advanced copy. It's not mm. published yet, but we wanted to get it out before. For in honor of the Yortzite, of basically his last work, which was a translation of a poem, a very long poem, by Rabbi Yehuda Levi, mm. and uh, we were speaking about it before in terms of that uh, that this was it was it was a unique adaptation and translation of of a poem that hasn't been translated really before, mm-hmm. and he he worked on it a lot, and uh, and we were able to 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 hopefully get it to print. And share it with the public. I, I write in the, the the forward a little bit, and on one of the notes on his introduction to the character of Rabbi Huda Levi that I think he very much associated with Rabbi Huda Levi, um, especially at the end of life, because Rabbi Huda Levi is is famous for Libiba Mizrach, mm-hmm. that uh, that he that he was this poet, rabbi. He wrote who, those words. Uh, Libiba Mizrach. That's yeah, yeah. like uh, it's like a oh, famous wow. expression from Yehuda Levi. Libiba yeah. Mizrach. That my that my my hearts. In, and that that encouraged him to, in the end of his life to attempt to go there to Israel. Mm-hmm. And there's a big historical debate whether he actually made it or not, oh, really? where, where he passed away. And so he, my grandfather wrote an, an outline, a, a, like a, a timeline. And so basically, yeah, he basically traveled, so he made his way to, to, wow. to Eretz Israel, And that was basically his last voyage, right? Um, again, question whether he made it or not. So I think the character and the life of... Again, of Rabbi Huda Levi, and that was really, again, we, we spoke about that poem the last time I was there, and he was he had just finished it, and we and we we, we read it through together, and he's very proud of it, very proud of it. But I think specifically, that was going back to the the, the struggle of of Eretz Yisrael mm. and and going something that really he connected with uh, with Rabbi yeah. Huda Levi, and that's what something he was very much, very very much on his mind at the end of his at the end of his life. I think. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he talked about it every time we spoke to him towards the end. He was always talking about different lines, and he would want to read it at the table, different things. Um, I wonder, you know, he was very hard to pigeonhole hashkafically. He almost has his own brand of hashkafa. And, you know, how did he see himself in terms of that identity? Do you know? And did he feel connected to any particular group? Yes. So I was actually speaking on one of my... My crazy travels the past week mm-hmm. and going into next week. So I got to see one of my students who's studying in in a university, and he told me that he's finishing up and now he's working on his aliyah and he's working on nefesh benefesh. Nice. And we were speaking about that a little bit. So he told me this crazy thing that one of the questions now that they ask on the form is I don't know if it's true, but that <laughs> this is what he told me is that they ask you what kind of Jewish you are. So. There's, here are the, op- are the, the options, options yeah. right? So there's 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 Haredi, Orthodox, Modern Orthodox, Frum. Hmm. What does that mean? Right. Meaning, what kind of questions <laughs> are? What is this, right? <laughs> and so, and the reason why I tell this story is because I think um, my my, my grand all these labels. My grandfather hated all these labels. Um, they're, they're modern things. Uh, when you when you he wasn't about labels. He was about everyone being together, and uh, under the under the the banner of Torah, Mitzvos, and Hashem. That's what that's what he cared about. And that's what he was proud about his shul. Mm-hmm. That you had right. so many people from different walks of life right. came there. You had the you had the religious and the not religious, and the and everything in between, uh, the black hatters and the professors, and right. and as the and something that as the community grew and he stepped away. It began to splinter. You see, Philadelphia now—it's a booming, it's a, it's a gigantic community. And, and one of the challenges is that you have so many people, so then you can start labeling, and then you can have these little minyanim and these different. And that bothered him very much um, because that defeats the purpose of uh, of becoming together and under. So, I would say, but in terms of who he was, I think what's interesting is that we have—I wouldn't say he's modern Orthodox. But what the ideals of what Rav Soloveitchik, I think, uh, would represented and what 
has been taken, I think, a little bit more than what Rav Soloveitchik, I think, intended in terms of, of, of modern orthodoxy. The idea of that there is wisdoms of the world. He was, he was like uh, a medieval Rishon, I would say, like <laughs> Rabbi Israel Ibn Najara, right? Uh, and, and Rashi, where they were very worldly, but very committed to Masorah. Right. That's, I think, uh, I, I call it Torah Masorah, I don't know, but like, <laughs> but none of these labels work right. for me. So like, I, I would tell you that he, he, he told me once that, uh, that uh, he, he turn, going back to which characters or gedolim that he, yeah. that he spoke about. So he, he liked, he told me a couple of times the story in his office. He had a picture of him and Rav Soloveitchik really? um, um, walking down at a wedding that my grandfather performed. Hmm. Uh, so he was a young, Rav Soloveitchik was significantly older than him. So there was a, there was a member of a shul that had a connection to Rav Soloveitchik and my grandfather was the Masada Kedushin. He was a very young rabbi and Rav Soloveitchik was coming to the wedding. So my grandfather was obviously very, uh, this is the first time, he never met him before. So he's also, the great Russell Vechik was coming. So apparently, uh, so he told me the story that apparently Russell Vechik was known for ripping up ksubas because basically they weren't kosher. So my grandfather wrote the ksuba, Russell Vechik comes in and he, and he looks at his ksuba and he says, it's good. So my grandfather passed the test. Mm-hmm. He was very, very happy about that. And then my grandfather took, turned to Russell. He's like, uh, "You'll be, you'll be the Masada Kedushin." My Russell said, "No, Rabbi Levine, you're the you're the Maradasra." Uh, and so, uh, so my grandfather ended up performing the wedding. And then he told me that he took him to the train or whatever the before the flight. I don't remember exactly what it mm-hmm. was. And he got to spend two hours with Russell Levine. And he spoke about all different topics. And obviously, Zeder Abaye came up, of course, in the, the, the family connection, and my grandfather told him that Rav Soloveitchik told him that when his wife, uh, Rebbe Stintanya, was sick, so he only wrote the two gedolim about, in terms of, he wasn't really into asking gedolim to pray, but there was two people that he wrote to, and one of them was Zeta Rabari. Wow. So I think, so he's very taken by that, that interaction. He very much, I think, associated in that way with Rav Soloveitchik, and I think... Rosalvich represented this this idea of being very grounded in Masora and the halachic man, but also very worldly, very understanding of the world around him. And I think there was no one like my grandfather in terms of someone who had just the breadth of knowledge of any topic. Of <laughs> and, and and you look at all the books that he had. Right. Like you have these poetry books. You have books on the Adam, you have he medicine was, books. And, I remember and, he was into the peanut guy. And the, the peanut guy and, and the fairy tales. Like he, <laughs> It's just who was the it, person who founded like peanut oil or something? But again, yeah. all these all these amazing things. But and and so that again, if you uh, like in a bubble, right? That'd be like that the concept of being a Jew in the modern world. I wouldn't right. say he was modern orthodox. I right. think he had a lot of a lot of challenges with the label of modern orthodoxy and what kind of like attributes it. But in terms of the 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 concept at its purest level, he was this. This incredibly worldly person, right? But grounded in Torah and mitzvahs and yeah. Masorah. I love the reference to like a medieval Rishon. That that really resonates. He's yeah. There was no one. There was no one like him in that respect. There were big, big gedolim, but there were, but none of them are like talking. Like I could talk to you about like Archie comics and and uh, and, and flowers and, and, and butterflies and, and, and color and, and always and woodworking, but always in a lens boating anything, <laughs> anything. always in the lens. Uh, a connection with Hashem and right. the Bono Shalom morale, and, and he loved the morale. And, I really and, was like and, uh, symbolic and, 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 and Avas Yisrael right. and Avas people. Yeah, I mean his Yedia Satora, you know, it almost gets sidetracked because it's not going <laughs> to come up like a Xos is not going to come up in most conversations. But when I was in yeshiva, um, whenever I would talk to him in learning, he was right there with me in the sugya. I would spend a lot of time on it. Wasn't holding necessarily in that, but he knew it. He knew the Taisus. He knew whatever I was talking about. He knew it. Not only that. I used to send them shtuklach Torah because I thought it was a nachas to him. I hope, I hope it was to see that I was learning. But I forgot when I wrote him. Who remembers? He would remind me years later, oh yeah, you sent me a shtuklach Torah on that. And this and that, I don't remember. He remembered everything I sent him. He remembered. It was really remarkable. I don't think people appreciated what a big time of he was. Did he have a photographic memory, do you think? Or he had a remarkable so we, memory. We, we, well, that's one of the things we spoke about because one of the things that uh, I think he... he um, that came up a lot is that of his father, Zeder of Chaim Yaakov, he had a photographic memory. And there's a story 
about um, when he was a young boy, was it when Rav Chaim Yaakovlin was a young boy, Rav Kook would love to speak to him in learning because mm. he was this Eloi, mm. and he remembered everything. They literally photographic memory. Young Rav Chaim Yaakov Levine felt bad. The Gadol Ador Rav Kook, like he has better things to do than speak to me, so he would avoid him. So Zayda Rabarye and uh, Rav Kook were good friends, so they came up with the following uh, plan that Zayda Rabarye would borrow Svarim from Rav mm. Kook, and then he would send Zayda Rav Chaim Yaakov to, to go return them. And during those exchanges, they would have opportunities to, to talk and learning, and, and he wouldn't feel bad. And so during one of these, during one of these uh, meetings, uh, the Nazir was was uh, mm. was, was by Rav Cook, and uh, uh, and and uh, he was watching in wonder as my great grandfather was uh, was reciting one of these big long tosfos and yavamos verbatim. Wow! And then he paused, and then I was like, "New." And then Rav Cook's like, Shh. and then my great grandfather kept going, and so he asked, "Why'd you pause?" He's like, "I was turning the page." <laughs> So, wow. so he, so his father had a, a trim, had a had a photographic memory. My grandfather told me that uh, I felt always bad because like I didn't remember the same way that uh, really that uh, that that my father did and whatever. And then and then he would say, but then my father explained to me that people have different types of memories, right? And I have a memory where I look at it and I see the page. You have an oral memory, and when my and, and my grandfather said that helped me a lot. That he would hear things and he would I think he had a better memory than he than he than he would say but <laughs> but in terms of looking wow. at things but he said he was he was someone that he was able to memorize things more when he heard auditory. things auditory memory so so yeah so I, again I don't know if it was uh, classified as a photographic memory but he right. definitely had a tremendous memory I remember one time that I was I was like looking up a word in like the Barilan database in terms of how many times it appears in Tanakh and I told him, this is how many times it appears. And my grandfather found one that the beta- database didn't. Really? Yeah. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. <laughs> Listen, I mean, it's a, it's a balance of love and mental acuity and, and knowledge. I mean, it all sort of merges together with him, right? The sense of warmth. Beautiful. When do you think of him during the, like, in the last few months? Like, when does he come to mind in your regular day? <sighs> um, all the time. Really? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's amazing. I guess because you're in chinuch, right? You're interacting with with people and trying to help them and trying to give them give them the love that you got. Yeah, I he was uh, very very influential in my life, and uh, very very special person. Um, yeah, so it's it's, uh, it's a big schus to, to to spend so much time with him, especially. Again, as a as an adult, right. um, and to to have that that time learning with him, it's very very special. And are there any other projects you guys are working on as a family besides? I see Rebuta Levy. You're gonna put that out for people. Is there any other projects? You have a lot of ideas. I can uh, see your head. Yeah. Smoke. Yeah, and there's another project I'm working on, which is uh, that uh, he one of his his I think most uh, impressive poems. Was was uh, a poem that he wrote a um, called "Shining Robe of Wind and Fire," which is like this fifteen sonnet poem. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with it. I remember they had a whole night where they revealed it or something, right? Yeah, it was. It's a. It's a. Yeah. It's a masterful work, and yeah. it's a very unique in terms of poetic uh, structure. Um, so I am working, and it was all in the honor of Hashem and. So I'm personally working on a kind of like a parish to where, mm. where where I'm referencing potential again I didn't go through it with him. He shared with me like the like the the, the what he did in terms of in terms of what went into writing it but um, a few times we spoke about it but uh, but kind of like referencing potential sources in the, in the in Psukim oh, cool. and Gemara. I'm sure it's highly referenced. Right? Um, so highly influenced. Uh, right. So again, it's kind of like the Rambam. The Rambam didn't write any footnotes, right? <laughs> you got to figure so, it out. So it could be a whole safer. So that's and how about his stories? He had so many cool stories, and are those being put together? And any you got to ask uh, Auntie Becky. Okay, that's her area. They're, they're they're she's she's her and my grandmother are are, are in charge of that. Okay. So. The keeper of the keys, <laughs> so I'm sure there's gonna be uh, they, there's lots of lots of stuff to publish. Uh, yeah, uh, and hopefully hopefully it'll, it'll be able to be shared. 
I, I am saddened that Reb Chaim Yaakov has a lot of things that need to be published that are stuck in Pardes Chana. And uh, my son was actually talking to Daniel, your father, about how to get in there and see how to get things out. And we hope we don't have a similar bottleneck on the important Torah and ideas of these great giants to get out to the world. Is there anything else you want to mention? We're uh, wrapping up. We could probably go on for a very long time, but that, any other uh, stories or insights you want to... I would just say that uh, the, the best uh, way to honor his memory, I would say, is A, learn some Torah, connect with the Rabbanu Shalom, and connect with people. And uh, if you want to take something upon yourself, that's easy. So just go out of your way and say hello to someone. And, and you never know what a hello can do. Mm. We are living in a world filled with hate. And my grandfather was a person that exuded love. Um, and so that we should try, each and every one of us, to uh, be more loving and to, to be more accepting of people and, and open and, and smiling at people. And then hopefully uh, his memory should, uh, should be a schuss for all of us. Amen. Thanks all for right, having thank me. you so much. Well, I'm recording this intro on the evening after the Yurtzeit was over, so I spent the last uh, 24 hours thinking about Rebbe Levine. Doing this audio certainly helped me uh, to think about him and reconnect, and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. We like to provide diversity in what we offer, so sometimes our shows are more standard interviews, and sometimes it's something along today's lines that really focus on one special person. Well, I hope you enjoy that. As you know, As I always say, sharing is caring. So please remember to share our podcast. We are trying to grow our listenership and your participation is most appreciated. Maybe you know someone who appreciates Chinook today who would benefit from it. So please let them know about our podcast. And as always, please feel free to send me any question, comments, or guest ideas to Podcast at gmail.com. This is your Achmiel Garfield wishing you a wonderful day.